there. Welcome to Motorcycles and Misfits. <laughs> Coming to you from Wham. the Recycle Garage in sunny Santa Cruz, California. It smells of cheese in here. I don't know why. It's because of your big bites. Gouda. You're the one. You, I keep saying, Emma, you got to clean your room. The room is her couch, and it is a mess. It's all the things you've It's eaten. not a mess. It's the sexy girl couch. Yeah, thank you. Of course. And who's sitting on it? Miss Emma. Oh, good Oh, continue. <laughs> hey, and who do we have in the, no- in the house tonight, Who's Craig? in the house? <laughs> hey there out there. <laughs> who are you? <laughs> who the fuck is this? The Tonight, mystery, mystery man, <laughs> the mystery, <laughs> the Oma Mister. Oh my, it was already a shit show, isn't it? Yeah, you, you. <laughs> Running the board, we have Liza. Hey, everybody, <laughs> it's me, Liza. And everyone's, I can't call her exotic, but she does come from a foreign land, and her name is Miss Emma. Oh, hello, darling. I do come from a foreign land, and that land is called the England. I'm a Britisher. You're a Brum. Yeah, no, actually, because you were quite tickled with that, weren't you? Because um, lovely Ben came down today, and Ben's from London, and um, we were talking about my hometown. They call him Big Ben? Yes, they do call him Big Ben. Um, But we were talking about my dear old hometown, Birmingham, and Mm. people from Birmingham are called Brummies, and Birmingham itself is called Brum. And I'm not sure about the origins. I mean, I'm sure it's got something to do with the the automobile industry, because that's really where it was centred was in Birmingham. But, you know, it's just it's just one of those things. I w- if anybody knows why people from Birmingham are called Brummies, or Birmingham's called Brum, or anybody from Liverpool is a Scouser, and I Scouse. Oh, what, what do Brums do to Scousers? Oh, nothing. We, we get on like a house on yeah, fire. Yeah, a wee bit of tea. Yes, we have a nice <laughs> sit-down, a bit of tea and some crumbly cake. Um, but, you know, it, these things go back hundreds of years, these terms. Tea? So, well, tea goes back a long time. You Americans know nothing about tea. We drink it. You just get angry and throw it into the harbor and have a tantrum. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> I have Sugar Daddy Mr. Long next to me, Craig. Me. You already did, Craig. It's him. We're did missing. I? Oh, wait, on Bagel? Hey, team. <laughs> wow. Uh, it's Bagel. It's a Bagel. Yes. Hello. And uh, Brummies should not be confused with Bromfeets. Which is Dutch for a moped, like the one right next to me. Oh, there you go. Bromfeets. Well, do you know what they call people from Santa Cruz? Stoners? Slugs. Well, yeah, of course, banana slugs, yeah. yeah. Can you sing the banana slug song? Go, 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 fight, slugs. <laughs> go. <laughs> go, slugs. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't eat them. No, no, you know, you know, the Hispanic people call it the poor man's peach. Oh, God. <laughs> oh wow. Oh, wow. No, I, no, I mean, this is completely so. un, uh, un- motorcycle related. I remember, <laughs> I remember a story on the news, tragic story a couple of years ago of a young man who got drunk and had a bet with his friends and ate a slug. And he died a horrible, painful death Ooh. about 18 months later. Got a brain worm, Wait. brain, back, brain no. protozoa. Oh, he died from Ooh. it. 18 months? 18 months. Well, you know what, wow. Emma? That's a fabulous story, but we've had enough death talk. We're going to not talk about well, any death actually, this episode. I, um, this is just going to be fun well, and light. If you want to lick a frog, that's cool. <laughs> no, but, you know, as far um, as slug <laughs> death, not, I, not this week, son. I would like to actually put this to bed. 
um, because it was a tough episode. And even last week, talking about killing bikes was a tough episode. But I want to address something which troubled me. And um, a reader, um, a listener, forgive me, um, wrote in and said, you know, Liza was being a little bit flippant about it. And I don't think that was entirely fair. Death is such an odd subject. It's such um, an almost a surreal subject. We all deal with it in very, very different ways. Liza's actually far more equipped to deal with it than me. Everyone heard how upset and how, how much pain I was in from something I experienced 45 years ago. And we all deal with it differently. And I think it's as tough on Liza losing friends as it is for me. She just shows it differently. I appreciate that, Emma. Yeah, no, yeah, I mean, you... but it's it's true. Once you introduce the human element into anything, we are all very different. We process information differently. We react to it information differently. And there's no wrong answer. There's no wrong answer to it. I've seen people burst into hysterical laughter at a friend's funeral. And it's just their coping mechanism. It's just how it's almost hysterical laughter, but it's just the way they cope with this this deeply traumatic event. So, um, yeah, you know, it's it's like cut us some slack, please. Well, and I, I'm actually going to roll that in, and 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 by your advice, I will say, hey, I apologize uh, to anyone who was insulted. Um, this person actually it wasn't an email; it was a review. Uh, on iTunes. So uh, once again, I'm going to ask people if they can go and leave reviews for us. Um, I didn't think that this person was an a-hole in any way. I thought it was their honest opinion. So this isn't, you know, a somebody's just going I mean, it's, on I mean, it's a valid, it's, valid it's, opinion. It's a valid um, opinion, but when you look a little before it, it's just... But, you know, your way of coping was very, very different from mine. And I think you're actually far better equipped well, and, to and, deal and, with it. In my it. defense... Um, talking about uh, death is a very hard and heavy subject and that's not what we're really known for. We like to have fun. So yeah, I did throw in a game to lighten it up and keep it fun and, and keep it from getting too too dark and depressing in here. So apologies if somebody interpreted that as me being insensitive. You know, and I'll say I'm stoked people wrote in. So thanks for like writing in and being like, here, here's what I thought about this show. Because yeah. it, was, it was heavy for all of us. And, um, and, and I appreciate like, because... Liza shared the emails with everybody and we chatted about it and it, they were all very respectful and thoughtful. Yeah. And, and the show was just that it was, it, it was thought provoking and, uh, and it's difficult. Yeah. Um, but I was just, I was, I was stoked. People like chimed in right. and said, Hey, here's my two the, cents. The thing that I find the most upsetting is when Liza asked me to clean my room. I hate that. <laughs> I, I'm really, I'm very upset by behavior by like that. <laughs> By your room, I mean the cracks in the couch. With <laughs> yes, <all> basically. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Something motorcycle-y. Um, I wanted to talk about uh, today in the garage. Well, what a peculiar day weather-wise it was, because it was very cold and overcast and damp this morning. You know, what? what's that jazz song that's she hates California because it's cold and it's damp? Oh, that's why the lady is a tramp. And that was true. Is that this how it goes? Yeah. And that was I thought true. California likes to party. That was true <laughs> this morning. Very cold, very overcast, very damp. But I tell you what, turned into a glorious afternoon, didn't it? Yeah, it did. And people came out in droves. In fact, we had some new people show up today. Mathieu. 
and Lucas and Anthony. Antoine. uh, And I wanted to give them a shout out. So this is very interesting. And I wanted Craig to weigh in a bit because you came later, so you weren't really here to give your advice. But we had um, Lucas showed up, brand new rider, first bike, and he got a CBR 250 that he came in that had been non-opt sitting for a while. So he wanted to help doing some regular maintenance just to make sure it's safe. And Ellie helped him um, clean and lubricate his chain and get it adjusted. And then I think he, he went out to buy some oil. He wants to oil change, and, all the things. And actually, I inspected the oil in the window. Ah. And I said, look, Lucas, you bought the oil, which is great. Use it next time. Because this oil, a lot of viscosity left. It was a great color. Oh, I think they just changed the oil probably before they took it off the road. Okay. And you know what? And that was somebody who I thought, you know, doing everything right. And then mm-hmm. we had another um, a young guy come by, and that's Anthony. And he's just taking the class now. Mm-hmm. And he was looking to buy a bike. And here's the funny thing. He's like, so... Yeah, I've been, um, there's a bike I'm looking to buy off of like Craigslist or whatever. And uh, I'm wondering if you can help me because I've never bought a bike before. And I'm like, well, tell me about it. He's, well, it's, uh, I think, an 08 or 09 FC 650, 40, like 6,000 miles on it. Uh, the owner says it's really clean, ready to go, yeah. well-maintained. I'm like, okay, well, um, I would suggest go and test ride it. And if, if it's not too far, see if you can test ride it here to the garage. Right. And we can take a look at it. And then he, he talks to the person who's selling it and said, well, they said that they'll just bring it here. I said, well, that's even that's even better. Emma will be here soon. We can all take a look at it. I said, and Emma can help you haggle the price down. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> look inside that airbox. Well, the, the gouger. <laughs> well, here's the funny thing. And so I'm like, uh, so so how'd you find out about the, the garage? And he goes, well, the person I'm buying the bike from sent me here. I'm like, who are you buying the bike from? Somebody named Scotty. I was like, wait, that's our Scotty. Yeah. yeah. I said, Emma can't negotiate. <laughs> well, like, not only Scotty's that, one of ours. Not only that, that bike was so clean. Yeah. 2008 FC6, and it you know, was clean. Yeah, and when, when Scotty first bought that bike, she brought it over to my place and said, hey, it's going to be my commute bike. Um, I've got a long, long commute. Can you do a complete service on it? I mean, complete so I did everything. I did um, valve clearances, cam chain, blah, 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 two new tires, mm-hmm. everything. And it was like a couple of grand. I mean, she spent buku bucks on this. Did you have to do the cam chain, cam chain, cam chain, contentioner, so. all that? Yeah, I yeah. think so. Yeah. But flawless commute bike for like two years oh yeah because she brought it in very very soon after i opened the shop so i know it's been a couple of years and never missed a beat so it served its purpose well now she's moving on to other things yeah so it's funny i'm like well if scotty yeah that that the price that scotty's asking is a very fair price yeah and if scotty says everything's good everything's good and then he's like um can since I i don't really have my license yet i haven't really ridden much can somebody do a test ride? I'm like, yeah, Scotty can. <laughs> like, there's nothing we can do or say that Scotty well, can. Scotty's one of ours. In the end, I placated <laughs> Antony. Yeah. But I just oh. thought it was funny how that, yeah. that turned around. And I, I took it for a spin around the block, and it rides just as well as I remember. But here's where I kind of wanted Craig and, and Jim. I, I kind of roped you in. I was trying to get everyone uh, get their opinion. I said, here's the thing. This bike is a good bike. But I 
would not recommend this as a first bike. Just bottom line. And I'm pointing at Lucas, who showed up on the CBR250. I said, get anything small. It's your six-month bike, just for six months. While your brain is learning how to retrain itself as a rider, it's a different mindset than being a driver. And a smaller bike will be smaller mistakes. A bigger bike will be bigger mistakes. Um, but I was kind of imp impressed with this kid. Emma, weren't you? He seemed to be like not so gung-ho to just get out there and get a fast bike. He just wanted something to commute on. And he seemed to be really taking in everybody's advice and opinions and no, really he, contemplating everything. You could tell he was a very, very smart young man. Yeah. And very respectful. Um, just very much enjoying being part of the community. And I, I said to him, you know, the part, one of the great joys of motorcycling, aside from riding bikes themselves, of course, is this lovely community you become part of. And he really seemed to be enjoying that. So um, I predict he has a long, happy career with motorbikes ahead of him. So then I pulled a dick move. Where'd because, you put it? Where'd you put it? Because no, that's what that. you do. And then I said, well, or <laughs> I have a bike for sale. <laughs> <laughs> I have a KLR 650 for sale. You won't get in trouble on that. But it's not fun. <laughs> I was like, full yeah. disclosure. He's like, no. Nope, it's nope. a tractor, but it will get you there it's, every yeah. day. He's like, no, I'll, I'll wait for the day. Well, no, no, he sat on it and he, he looked really comfortable on it. He liked the riding position. He was, it was really interesting and actually really refreshing to get somebody who sat there and just absorbed everything everybody had to say and listened intently and sat on all these bikes and, and had him, you know, put his feet up and see how it felt. And I said, here's the thing, KLR 650, you won't get in trouble. It's the exact same price, right? But it's not going to be fun. The The FC6 is going to be a fun bike. It is exciting. It could be a bike you'd have for many years, but it's a much bigger risk getting on it. I advise if you choose that bike to take an advanced rider class and to give yourself better odds. But I, I, I think that this kid has a good mind for this because he really took it all in. I don't know. What do you think, Craig? Do you think uh, taking the advanced rider class right away speeds up the learning curve and, and lessens the risk your first six months on the road? It's usually best to practice just a little bit. We recommend in the schools a couple, six weeks, eight weeks of practice on whatever bike because mm. then it soaks in. We do have students right. that take it the next weekend, but they ride a lot. <laughs> but generally speaking, you want to practice a little bit. Because you need to understand what you're applying and why. That's right. <sighs> yeah, that makes sense. Well, one of the things that comes to mind also, even even there, you forget how basic it is when you're learning how to ride is muscle memory, right? We all have the muscle uh -huh. memory of shifting clutches and all the shit, right? We don't think about it anymore. We just do it. But when you're a new rider, like at least for the you know, first six oh, you months. you think about everything. Well, and, and you're really just training muscle memory. That To me, that that's what makes sense. And, you know, the other thing about like about the, the bigger bike, the FC6, you know, because I had one great bike, right? Um you forget also is how heavy motorcycles can be at a gas pump. So I could see mm -hmm. like it's a it's a cool bike, but he'll drop it. Yeah. Right. Because he's something will happen. He'll drop it somewhere. Um, but I think taking some sort of instruction at some point. But it, it's a lot of bike. But you know, we'll see. Yeah, you know, it's funny because when you change your perspective to like in the Harley world, start with a Sportster. It's the 
learner bike. It's like, wow, it's, it is interesting, the whole, whole perspective. But I gave him, I, I said, you know, if, if you find a, a smaller bike, it's your six month bike. And the upside is there's always new riders who will right. buy it. So the value stays up. Yes. So it'll be interesting to see what he decides. But I have confidence no, in I think him it, that he will do the right thing. We had a lovely little chat before he left. He, he specifically wanted to come and thank me for, for all my advice. And we had a lovely little chat. And I think he's probably going to buy it. He's absolutely in love with the styling. Of I mean, that bike. it's a that that 2008 FC6. The color, the styling, it's beautiful. And Japanese fuel injection. I mean, it runs those things. That's great for this area too. 600 cc motor for the mountains. And but like you know we were that, talking earlier, that thing will do 110 yeah. miles an hour all all day. Absolutely. And I, the styling, I think, is incredible on yeah. those 2008. They yeah. absolutely, it's very bizarre styling. Well, and you could look at the tires. You could tell Scotty got that thing over pretty good. Oh yeah, Scotty. Like Scotty yeah, she handle. knows how to ride. Yeah. Well, and as I mentioned, I have a KLR for sale. If anyone is interested, this was another Mototown special. That uh, yeah, it was a snip, a snip <laughs> from Mototown. So let me tell you about this bike. Because I'll I'll give everyone the pitch. I'm gonna think she's she's trying to talk me into selling my other KLR. Well, no, I think she I should. I agree. I think she this, should too. This KLR was bought brand new by the guy who traded it in at my shop, and he bought it specifically to ride down to Central America on. And I can't remember whether he did a trip to Bolivia or Patagonia, but it was down that neck of the woods, and he just rode it down there, did his trip, rode it back, done. And so this thing is, it's sub how many thousand miles? It has, it's about to hit 7,000. So it's got no miles on it. Yeah, 6,900. And it's in beautiful condition. I think, I personally think it's a far better bike than your red one. And I... I like my red one. I, I know you do. I think it, it looks a little better because it looks a little kind of tougher. Oh. Your red one looks like a... Looks like a baby boomer Corvette color burgundy. <laughs> it looks soft. <laughs> it looks too soft. Okay, Liza. boomer. <laughs> I, you know that boomer burgundy Corvette you see? Yeah, no, around? I know. That's what. That's what the killer. I'm sorry, Liza. It's been a hard day for you, hasn't it? No, it's good. Okay. No, I, li I like the red one because it's all kitted out with all the things I. Want. But we'll help you put the things on. No, yeah, some I PVC highway pegs. My, my the other one only has like twelve thousand miles. <laughs> so it's not that big of a difference. So here's um. So knowing something of a small amount of the history and using your best judgment and imagination, because it doesn't have to be truthful, I, I'd i really like our listeners to write an ad for Liza's KLR 650. Yeah, I need to list it. Uh, yeah, we need to list it. So, um, you know, if you want to bring in its history in a previous life of helping to slay dragons... You, no, I, I, I'm gonna, I'll probably list it tonight. But if anyone is interested in a very low mileage, 2011 Gen 2, yes, KLR. It's a beautiful. It's blue it's and ready silver. To go, ready it's for adventure. It's a lovely adventure. color. I, do, I it, look as good. It's blue and silver. Lovely metallic blue and silver. And Liza did the master stroke, because I felt the 2011s were a little under graphicked. And you got the graphic kit, which has got a lot of lime green mm -hmm. in it. It looks brilliant. It really is a very handsome bike. And the thing I like the most about it, 
I I don't like your black rims on the red one. <gasps> I love the black rims. No, I like the polished aluminium no. ones. I love the black rims. I like the, the aluminium black. ones. It's like black socks with black shoes. You know what I mean, Craig. Mm. You know what I mean. <laughs> He's got black I'm socks with involved. white shoes. <laughs> not getting involved with this one. <laughs> Um, but you know what? Even though, I mean, it's it's not a new to me bike, but it's new. It came back, so the, the tent is getting full. Just like Bagel's garage is getting fuller, because yeah. guess what? It's game time. Bagel has a game for us. Ooh. I do. What, what, <laughs> yes, are, we, what this, are we gonna play, Bagel? This game is, what did Bagel, what did bagel bring home now? Okay, if oh, you wow. call last time, it was Herpes? what's in Bagel's underpants, but this one. <laughs> is, so it must be bigger than what fits in his underpants. Is it edible? Yes. Okay. Definitely bigger. bigger it's not it edible. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, so how this is going to work, I, okay. I am going to throw out a couple of, a couple of bits of information. I want you to first guess the manufacturer, oh. and then after that, guess the model. Do okay. we, are we asking yes or no questions? How is this working? Um, I'm just going to have you throw out guesses. I'm going to give you some information to start with, and okay. then go. Then we, I'll have you pick people go around the room. We want information. Yes. We want. So, information. I just want to know what part of Italy was it uh, was it made in? Uh, n nothing from Italy. Oh, actually. see, I got, I got a clue. Yeah. I got oh, a clue. Yes, <laughs> so first, the first toy. Um, <clears throat> I'm. That it has two wheels. Okay. Um, it is orange, with uh, with a silver frame, and has uh, uh, some black trim. Um, and it is from a company that does not manufacture scooters; they manufacture motorcycles. Royal Enfield. That is incorrect. <gasps> Next. Pujo. Oh. Pujo. No, we've got to go around the room. Who's Dang who's in, who's next? Oh, that would be me. So Emma. it is. It has a silver frame. Yes. It has orange bodywork. Yes. And black, some black trim too. And some black trim. Does it have a great deal of bodywork or a small amount of bodywork? Mm. I'd say a small amount. Mm. It has a small amount of bodywork. Mm. Yep. And it's a motorcycle manufacturer. It is. Is it Spanish? It is not. Oh, dear. Okay, next. Is it European? It is. Ooh. Do you have a guess? Yeah, go ahead. Who the manufacturer is? You already said that one. I know. I was going to say, you didn't say anything from Italy, but my in my head I wanted to say Moto Marini. But I no, know that's no. not tr true. That's if there's no still Italy. Italian. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I Jim? Vespa. <laughs> no, it's not from Italy. <laughs> Just no get way out of the way. I don't give a fuck. I'll look uh, anything about scooters. Look, so we're I'm saying Vespas Vespa. and it was either this that is, or Honda. This Elite. is from I don't wait, know. this is this is a company that does not manufacture scooters. Right. Um so it is not a scooter. So it's some uh KTM? No, but you're getting close. He made a face. He made a face. Go Husqvarna. Go Husqvarna. Emma, go Husqvarna. No, I don't think it's a Husqvarna. I do. I do. I think it's a Husqvarna moped. <laughs> I can tell by the look on his face. He can't keep a secret. Look at him. Look at him. He's about to burst at the seams. Is it Swedish? <laughs> yes. 
It is a Husqvarna. <laughs> it is. <laughs> now can you guess what model it is? I'm gonna, I'll give you a hint. It has two letters and a number. It, is it a sewing machine? No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> On wheels. Is cheating allowed? Um, you can cheat. Okay. <laughs> but but you could also try to guess what the first letter is. L. S. Not L or S. H. Nope. All right. Uh, we're just going down the alphabet here. Hold on. No, I want to ask a question. Is it okay. a moped? It is not a moped. Ooh. <laughs> is it a scooter? It is not a scooter. Like I said, this company does not manufacture scooters. Is it a bicycle? No, it's not a bicycle. What? Is it a chainsaw? It said it's <laughs> no, two wheels. Ooh. It's two not wheels. a chainsaw, but scooter. you're not too far off. Is it a kick scooter? No, it's not a kick scooter, but... Are they currently manufactured? I'll give you another hint. I'll give you another hint. It's electric. Oh. Boogie, woogie, 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 woogie. So this isn't vintage? Is it a lawnmower? No, it is not vintage, and it is not a lawnmower. Any is it other a guesses? Personal massager. <laughs> no. Oh, I see what it is. Is it? Oh wait, you said orange. Is so? Is it the Husqvarna Vector? No, it's not that. I'm not sure what that is, but it's not a Vector. Oh, oh, oh! Is it an E01? No, it's not. Oh, come on. All right. It's a bagel. We don't know is what it is. It's a new electric. Is this a vehicle? No, it's not. Oh. God, what a... Two wheels with no, no vehicle. What a wanker. Shall I reveal it? Yes. Well, hold on. What? Yeah, what? <laughs> what is it's it? It's a pressure washer. Oh, you oh, bagel. Oh, wow. <laughs> Made by Husqvarna. Wow. <laughs> bagel, I, you got us. I couldn't, I couldn't resist because... I, I had to, I, well, I needed a pressure washer anyway, and I figured, what, what, what better brand to get than a motorcycle manufacturer like Husqvarna? So now I can say I own a Husky. So it's an electric power washer. What an absolute yes. tosser! So you got, you got to pull out all the uh, <laughs> the emissions, and you got to, you got to remap the uh, fuel injection. <clears throat> well, and, and I got to, got to rewire it. Yeah. Hey, bagel, <laughs> we can, we yes. can still save this. Um, Let's go back to what's in Bagel's underpants. I need you to put the wand in your underpants and pull the trigger. <laughs> well, hold on a second, because this is a two-part game. Oh, God. Because oh God. this is not the only toy that I brought home okay. this week. Um, I brought home another toy. Oh. Um, <clears throat> it is, is, it, is, it a, is it a plug? <laughs> no, no. It is not a plug. Can Emma control it remotely? But it, but it is very long. <laughs> it, 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 it is very long. Oh! Is, oh. <laughs> is it very strong as well and long? Um, it's, it's reasonably strong. It's adequately strong, let's okay, say. Okay, well, very good. How many wheels it, does it have? It has two wheels. Oh, God, here we go again. Yep. yep. <laughs> All right. Come on out with it, Bagel, because I would like to remind you, as I have reminded okay. Liza in the past, this is indeed a motorcycle podcast. Okay. The reason will, we are so successful well, is we well, eventually get back to motorcycle. Unless it's content. the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile. Oh, oh God. 
Because that's pretty boss. No, it's not the not the Wienermobile. Uh, okay. But it is almost that long. <laughs> Spillo the Beanzo. Okay, well, first, guess the manufacturer. Toyota. Vespa. No. Nope. So is it a toy? Is it a no, toy? No, it's not a toy. It's a vehicle. Well, okay, hold on. To some people, it might be a toy. But, is it, is but it a home it, it appliance? It is a vehicle. You ride it. It is a vehicle. Hitachi. a road-going vehicle. <laughs> oh, road-going vehicle. Oh, oh Daihatsu. Datsun. Datsun. It has two wheels. <laughs> is it a scooter? It is a scooter. Oh, good. Is it a an adult size scooter? It is. Oh. It is a road legal scooter as a, as a matter of is fact. Is it a gas powered scooter? It is. Can you get it for less than $2500 on Bing Bang? <laughs> uh, I don't know about on Bing Bang, but I got it for less than that on Facebook. Oh, okay. <laughs> What's the year of manufacture? It is 2006. All right. Is it made in the land of the rising sun? It was made in the land of the rising oh. sun. Oh. You finally you got an elite. You've come to the dark side. You are incorrect. Oh, <laughs> you got 2006. You didn't get a Morpheus mm -hmm. or something, did you? I did. Uh, oh, God. That is the porn stash of scooters right there. <laughs> Wow. Does that thing come with wow. buoys and a captain's hat? Oh, baby. <laughs> That's intense. I love it. Yeah, but you it, need those rubber bumpers on the side. That yeah, it, it it feels very, very wave runner like. So I have it a I have a simple fierce. question. It's got the great yes. blue. Too. Why? Well, um, I've I've kind of had a thing for these for for a while. Huh. And and I, I look I've looked for them from from, from time to time, but they only sold these for three years in the U.S., so right. they're, you can't find them very often. Um, <clears throat> and it just so happened that I uh, was selling a van to a friend of mine this week, and we were going to meet in Grants Pass, um, and I was trying to figure out a way to get back from there um, because I, I was dropping off the van and didn't have a ride home. Well, I saw this Morpheus for sale down there, and the price was right, and it only has 13,000 miles on it. And I went down to check it out and decided, well, this will be my ride home. <laughs> so I went and bought it. And uh, Dare I it's ask, brilliant. Bagel, so, it's an amazing-looking yes. thing. Oh, it actually looks in great so it's, condition. It's like that FC6 blue from today. It's, it's like Yamaha yeah. picked up where, where the Helix, Honda Helix, right. left off. <laughs> yes, where, exactly. Um, yep. And it, it is in, in, in fairly good shape. Um, it is it does have some scratches on the outside, um, but it's been stored inside most of the time from what it looks like. It, um, is it amphibious? Is, it is not amphibious. It looks like it should uh, be. It, it looks like it should be. No, I think you should yeah. wrap it, like take it to the wrapper place and wrap it in white and ride around in your Star Wars outfit you got, that <laughs> Stormtrooper <laughs> outfit you got, dude. It would look killer. That thought did occur to me, actually. Oh, yeah. It'd be brilliant. <laughs> so... Yep. Do, do the, does this mean you lose your Vespa card? Are you still no. allowed in the club? Yes, absolutely. Okay. I mean, this is this is just yet another scooter. <laughs> so, um, a ride back from Grants Pass um, to uh, Venetian Blind or wherever the yep. hell you live is um, that's quite a that's quite a good decent ride. That's three yeah. hours. Uh, it's a little two hours. Oh, yeah. Two so hours. So you had 130 miles or so. <laughs> Did you explore the top speed? 
Yes, uh, mm. I got it up to about seventy-seven or so. I, I didn't didn't want to push it too far uh, because it's it's overdue for belt and rollers um, and all the other maintenances. Yes, but um, but I figured, you know, but it rode just like rode like a champ the whole way home. Fantastic. And, uh, How many CCs yeah, is it? Two fifty. It's me. a two fifty. Yep. Oh. Yeah. Wow, that's a big butt for two fifty. Oh, it's yeah. a big, it's yeah. a big thing. You ever seen one oh, yeah. one of those it in is. the shop, Emma? Um, you know, funnily enough, they are super rare now. I know somebody um, who bought one new, which would be right around when yours rolled off the line. Yeah. And oh. I remember the thing just being huge. It's it's mm -hmm. it's got a trunk. And a, yeah. not a frunk. Uh, yes, it's got a frunk a, 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 and a, a trunk. A frunk and a trunk? I don't know what you call the middle. Well, I, I don't think there's a frunk, but there's there's yeah. storage under the seat under and seat. then there's the, the, in the back. The oh. centunk. It's got a centunk, yeah. Yeah, centunk and a trunk. And a trunk. trunk. <laughs> yes. Wow, well, congratulations, Bagel. No, that's yeah. a great-looking machine. Are you going to keep it? I, I'm going to keep it for now. Um, I, I, I'm going I'm to try it out and see how I like it. I, I will say that the riding position takes some getting used to. Um, my, my legs are not used to riding in a reclined position and, and it was getting oh, a little uncomfortable right. by the end of the trip. Well, but. you know, it's the hallmark of the Japanese scooters and we, we've had, we're going to keep quiet about it now. We have had a quite a large capacity Japanese scooter hanging around these parts lately. Um, mm. they are very, very feet forward and yeah. it's, it puts an enormous amount of strain on your coccyx. Yeah. And it really does take some getting used to. All I can suggest, Bagel, is don't put your feet flat. You know, put them on the bit that kind of mm -hmm. goes upright a little bit. Yep, I was doing that. And then get your the backrest, get that as forward as you can, and kind of smash yourself into the backrest. And that's mm. how you ride them. I, because I, then you get support in the in the small of your back. Emma, I would say drop your legs down on the side and just run alongside. Oh, that'd be good. Yeah. <laughs> or just sit backwards on it and view the world through a periscope. <laughs> well, but no, that's the method. If you if you kind of mash yourself into the backrest and really kind of smash it into the small of your back, they are mm. quite comfortable. But if you kind of ride them like you'd ride a normal bike or a scooter, as you yeah. find out, your buns get very, very upset. Yeah, it feels like the, the rear portion of the, the, the seat needs to be scooped in a little bit more just to have some room for the tailbone and, and you know, sit bones to kind of have, have or, a little bit more. Well, it wasn't designed to, for you. Or just do yes. less, don't do any more squats and yes. let your butt just flatten out. <laughs> well, I think that's that, that's that's the problem. Is I need a little bit more cushion there. <laughs> oh, I see, I see, I see, I see. Well, congratulations, Bagel. You bought a thing. You know, I, uh, you yeah. know what I can see that in? Kenny Roberts mm -hmm. colors. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yes, yellow with a with a white and black checkerboards on it. Look like a million oh bucks. Oh yeah, it is Yamaha blue. <laughs> I can also well, see Bagel has a big ass garage. I know your garage keeps getting bigger. <laughs> oh, Bagel, um, how's yes. the horse? Uh, the horses are away for the summer. They've gone to their their summer oh, no! pasture. Oh, that's yes, what they that's what door. they tell you. Yes. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, they, they're going somewhere to frolic. Okay, very so good. We have we have goats who uh, are escape artists who keep us busy. Okay, yeah. well that's fine. Just remember when when someone tells you, oh, they went to live on a farm. That's not really what happened. They went to the glue factory. Yeah, no. Well, yeah. So congratulations, you bought a thing. Unlike Jim, Thanks. who crashed a thing. Oh. Oh no, Jim. <laughs> Jim, you went off oh, on one of your adventures, and I have to say, I love. 
how much you've like morphed into this new adventure guy and you just love mm. to go out on your own into the wilds. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. I don't think I'm a new, I, I don't feel like I'm a new adventure guy anymore though. You used to be the I was go sit at the beach, you know, I on know your I did. on your your beach cruiser bike. No, that that bubble yeah. got burst when Matt looked at me one night. We're in the woods. I was making cowboy coffee is what it was. We just boil the grinds in the water and you just, you know, pour it off the top and that's your coffee. And he goes, dude, you're like Jack fucking Palance. And I was not like impressed. I'm like, dude, that's not a compliment, man. <laughs> but no, I, I like, I, I, yeah. So I was out camping again and I feel like I got it pretty well dialed in. And, um, yeah, so I've been doing it for a while. So anyway, yeah. Where did you go time. this yeah. time? So this time I went to a place in Nevada. So it's BLM land in Nevada, about 45 minutes northeast of Reno, the biggest little what is it, biggest little city in the country. And um, I think that's the You're model. talking about the biggest little whorehouse? No, okay. I'm not. No. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so I went camping. It's BLM land about 45 minutes towards uh, Pyramid Lake. And it's, it's a place called Moon Rocks. And what it's known for is Jeep crawl kind of stuff. Yeah, Emma, yeah. did you Google Moon Rocks and check yes, this, these formations did. out? But, um, Jim, for our listeners in other countries, would you explain what BLM land is, please? Oh, thank you. So BLM stands for Bureau of Land Management, or I like to say is BLM spells F-U-N. <laughs> so this is the people's <laughs> land. So in America, so they say there's big swaths that are just open to the public. And there's some general rules, but for the most part, anything goes. Um, and it's such vast areas that it's hard to police. Um, so this is an area of BLM land, and I can't remember, it's, I don't know, 30,000 acres, but that's just the BLM. It does open into other uh, rangeland after that. And it's about 5,000, up at about 5,000 feet, so it's high desert, uh, which is pretty cool. So when you first kind of go into this area, you kind of, you know, you go through Reno, which is a fun, I like Reno. It's a uh -huh. funky little spot. You know, if you, it's like Vegas. If you know how to do it, you can have a good time. If you we don't know some, how to do it, it's pretty fucked up. We had up. some fun in Reno. <laughs> yeah, totally. So it's outside of Reno, and... Um, yeah, little by little, you get further into nowhere. And as you pull into the BLM land, there are these funky rock formations. Um, yeah. I don't know, sandstone-type rocks, but it's very popular with Jeep crawling. So you see those dudes with all the four-wheel drive stuff, like, you know, doing whatever it is they do, the Jeep crawl thing. So that's cool. But it was kind of a shit show. I got to say, <laughs> Memorial Day weekend, fucking Reno. It's like, oh, my goodness. And, um, and it was like... I'm not trying to insult anybody. It was like a Trump mount, a Trump rally meets Mad Max. It was just like true two stroke exhaust, you know, Trump shit everywhere. It was very America. I'll just say that. So I went past that about five miles. So once you go past that, it opens up into BLM land, and I just kind of disappeared back into the uh, to the open range. And where I ended up camping, um, there was nobody. I mean, I, I saw very few people. Um, and it opened up just kind of into some rolling mountains in, in Nevada. And it was just me. It was it was pretty cool. Like, I just needed a break from civilization. You know, sometimes yeah. that happens, like, too much people, too much screen time, too much everything. And I'm like, I just got to bail. So, and the weather was perfect. So out I went. And the super bloom. Yeah, so I'm sure, you know, people hear about the super bloom. And you're like, oh, super bloom, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you see it around here. You see it in the hills. You see it off the freeway. And I didn't really go for that in particular, but... Oh my God. Like I've seen a lot of flowers in my adventures uh, up in the Sierras, the desert too, but mostly in the Sierras, but nothing like I saw, you know, where I was out there at Moon Rocks. Yeah. Uh, when we get a lot of rain, you get basically these pastures or, you know, fields that just pop up with these 
Well, what's Wild fascinating flowers. is I, I've been to this area before, and it's desert. I mean, Craig's been to the desert, and and, and it's dry. Like, there's not mm-hmm. much green. There's, like, some sagebrush and a couple other But other than that, it's brown and dead. Now, with all the rain we've had, it was the most beautiful color green. Like, mm. someone took a paintbrush to the entire desert. And I had, like, we had, like, cool things, not with me. Like, afternoon rains would come through. Like, oh, shit, here comes a storm. We had, like, a flash flood warning for a minute. Um Never materialized, but we did have some rain. But then afterwards, the sun comes out, and the desert's just glorious. So is this um, wide and flat? Is this a hilly terrain? Describe, is this a single track? Like, what are you riding on? Yeah, so it's a little bit of all the above. Uh, so like I mentioned, when you first come in, there's Jeep crawl stuff. So if you want to do technical stuff, um, you know, trials-type riding, there's as much of that as you want to bite off. Um, at the same time, there's a ton of single track. Um, there's a ton of what, uh, dual track, right? Jeep tracks. And it's all open rangeland too. So there's cows going here and there. Um, but, but the variety of the terrain was neat because a lot of it was, you know, uh, an open sand road. But then all of a sudden you'll go through a drainage ditch. And because of all the water, there was a lot of erosion, which a couple of things. A, it made the riding much more interesting because a lot of the trails turned into kind of drainage ditches. Um, but not overly challenging, just interesting. But it kept the people away. When you say drainage ditch, do you mean like a culvert or a runoff? Or like a... Well, what was a Jeep trail that had a bunch of water rush through okay. it and is now just a run it out, like a run it <laughs> yeah. out Jeep trail, right? Okay. But the, what was just, it, it was kind of ridiculous, is there were flowers everywhere. And I and like dozens and dozens of different types of flowers. And it's one of the things you see in like, you know, the newspaper. You're like, all right, this is ridiculous. And like on my Instagram, you know, I've got a whole bunch of pictures of stuff. Um, but, you know, what I love about it and and when you get into, you know, the the, the BLM land or the natural areas of the country um, is you can explore and you can just poke around and you can just go where you want and check stuff out. And the natural beauty is amazing. So something I love when you go do these trips you come up with different creative ways to start your fire in the evening. So what, what did you use? Oh, that's what this you time? bring up. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So yeah, it's always fun to start the fire. Well, you don't want to just like light a match, you know, like, there it goes. So uh, we've done, I uh, create, you did the bow and arrow method. You did the bow and arrow. Yeah. <laughs> we did the old, uh, the Pocahontas that's method. That's one of my favorites. <laughs> I like the bow and arrow right? method. Yes. Which all involve a lot of gasoline. So that was where we soaked shit in gas and lit an arrow and launched it and boom. No, this, this was just, I don't know. We just, it was just handgun time. So, <laughs> What, you, you shoot a receptacle of gasoline or Yeah, something? a whole bunch of gasoline, and it just exploded <laughs> and turned into a big fireball. But it's like, you know. You're, you're out in the middle of nowhere by yourself. I mean, that you can do that. Yeah, that, that well, it's fun. that's what's fun about that is getting out into those open areas of the country. Um, but again, the writing was just, was just unbelievable. Um, you know, you see a lot more of the side-by-sides, mm-hmm. you know, a lot more of the quads, a lot more of that stuff happening. But the beautiful thing about dirt bikes, there's some areas when you get off into these lands, into the canyons and the mountains and stuff, it's really accessible by a dirt bike and a horse. Mm. That's really where you can get away from people. And I literally, most days I rode, I saw nobody. I saw nobody at all out there. You know, I saw snakes, I saw hawks, I saw rainbows. Um, I danced naked in the rain. I'm like, it's oh, nicely ra- done. Well, it was raining. I'm like, it's raining at like four in the afternoon. I'm like, how often do you get to stand in the middle of the desert with the sun shining, rain coming down, rainbows popping? Yeah, so I danced around a little bit. You know, that sounds I, incredible. Oh, and then next thing you look up and there's like antelope running through the like the campsite. Now, what are you doing in terms of keeping yourself safe? I know you've got your GPS tracker. Yeah, you're out there riding alone. You have to be careful in case something happens. Do, I mean, do you 
do you take into account? Because I know you're a pretty hard rider out there, Jim. But, I mean, do you kind of ratchet it back and think, like, theoretically, I could bleed out here. I, I pretty much ratchet it back almost all the time. Right. right, because like I said, I don't, I don't see people. It's, it's shocking. Like I'm surprised I don't see anybody, but I don't. And, and, and you know, motorcycles are funny like that. They always jump up and kind of bite you when you least expect it. You yes. know, when you're in the difficult riding, you're typically pretty focused, and you know, you do okay. It's when you're kind of lackadaisical that things happen. So, yeah, I do, I do, I do ratchet it back a little bit. Um, a first thing, like we all do, I wear all the gear. Um, because at some point you're going to fall over and it's always going to be when you're not expecting it. And um, so you wear all the gear, you know, I have the Garmin inReach Mini with me, um, you know, try to stay physically fit, all that kind of stuff, know where you're at. But this time, because I was, you know, I was by myself, I stay close to my campsite. There was enough cool riding within about 15 mile radius that I could spend all day riding. Um, and then, you know, you know, if something happened with a bike or whatever, I'm not that far away. And I'll, I'll be honest, a lot of it is plain luck. You know, it's it's fucking luck. Well, right. e even as careful as you are, sometimes things don't go as planned. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I <laughs> shit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I only crash because you don't want to crash because things happen, right? Yeah. When you're up on the bike, things are typically pretty cool. When you're flying off the bike, and you just don't know. Just curious, if the bike got damaged and could not be ridden out, how far do you have to go to get to your truck? So, oh, where I crashed at? Well, or, it, I mean, just where you're camping, where you are. Yeah. How far away, how long of a hike I, to get back to your truck? This trip I kept it to about the most was about 15 miles away from okay. my truck. I try to stay within maybe, you know, five to seven miles of other people, um, which is kind of nice. And it was Memorial Day weekend, so there were people around. If I went, you know, a certain direction towards, say, where the main road was, I would run into some people. Um, but you try not to get too far away. It also depends on the time of day. You know, as it gets later in the day, you want to stay closer to home. Um, cause when it gets dark in the desert, man, you, you just don't know where the fuck you are. <laughs> yeah. If you want to be lost, go get in the desert in the middle of the night wow. and you'd be like, I don't know where I am. So, um, yeah, yeah. So you try to do all, you, you, I, you know, we talked about it last week. You try right. to do all the things to put mm -hmm. the odds in your favor. Stay hydrated. It's, it's stretch, like dealing eat. yourself a good hand. Yeah. Make sure you have proper tire pressure. Make sure the bike's sorted out. You know, eat, hydrate. Make sure you have more gas than you think you're going to need. Right. Make sure you have more water than you think water you're going to need. Water and gas, I'm telling you. you so just... you had a you had a oh shit moment on this. Oh track. yeah, so I did. It was um you know, I'd been riding. It was great. It was everything from single track to uh, you know, uphills, downhills. Nothing like I didn't do any hardcore hill climbs, but some decent hill climbs, so a great variety of riding. Um, lovely single track, which basically are cow tracks because oh. cow tracks through the sagebrush and flowers and stuff. Um, but just, just so therapeutic. So anyway, um, I do this big loop over the mountain, kind of coming back over to where my campsite is. And I'm at that point, like se I'm, I'm three quarters of the way over the loop. Right. And we know a loop's not a loop until you make it a loop. And, and, and I come to a downhill. So I'm dropping down the other side of this mountain. And I know if I go down this downhill, I'm maybe 10 minutes away from my campsite. Right. If I have to turn around and go back, I'm probably another hour from my campsite, which I had fuel and all that kind of stuff, but I'm like, ah, I'm ready to kind of get home or to, I was going to go to Reno and stay the night. And I see this downhill and I'm like, I can see most of it. It's not terrible, but then there's a, a little bit of a ledge about halfway down. And I'm like, ah, I, I think it'll be okay. So I just go for it, right? Because I'm trying to have more confidence in my writing. I'm trying to be just more confident. And yeah, it was a mistake. <laughs> so, so I go on this downhill and I got it and uh, I, I started in first gear. So I got, it, I'm trying to engine brake. Um, 
I'm trying to think the secrets of events. I think anyone that's, that's had a, a, a loose, steep downhill that ate shit kind of knows how it goes. So going downhill, get going too fast, because my idea was I could coast down it. Just, just let the bike run down this downhill. But next thing you know, you're going fast, and you don't know what's halfway down. Like, it could fucking drop off and end up in a ditch. Like, it could be an eight-foot drop for all you know. So you can't get going too fast. So, but then you start braking, the rear tire locks up. Next thing you know, you stall the bike. So I got the bike stalled. It's going sideways on me. Um, and I don't want to low side, right? Because you want to keep rolling. You're like, I can got this. I got this. So then as you start to low side, right, you pop the clutch back out. And what happens? The bike stands up. So as I pop the clutch, I'm like, I'm about to get catapulted. And I look over and it was fucking like a, a drainage canyon, right? Like it's not a ditch. It's just where the water right. would run off out of the mountains. And I'm like, I'm going to launch into there. So as I go, kind of go to high side, I let off the clutch a little bit. And then I said, fuck it. It's just going to be what it's going to be. And off I went. And luckily the ground was soft. There weren't big chunks of, you know, rock in there to land on. Um, and I did a couple of little hippity hops and a big ninja <laughs> roll and jumped up. And I'm like, thank you. <laughs> thank you, universe. I'm not dead. Now, Craig, you know, I hold you partly responsible for mm -hmm, this. Mm -hmm. Jim told me about this new method of riding he learned from you. Mm -hmm. What is this? What is this method? I don't think it's new. Well, maybe new to some. New to yes. Yeah, so explain this method. New, new to, new to, new to sh shitty riders. <laughs> So what I see many, many yeah, dirt yeah. bike riders doing that I think is incorrect uh -huh. in my, uh, what I believe, okay, yes, yes, I yes, believe yes, is riding downhill loose, chunky things with uh -huh. the clutch out all the time and always using the engine to brake. I feel you have less control than just using the actual brakes and pulling in the clutch in first or second gear and keeping the clutch in basically the entire time shifting the weight all the way back getting your ass all the way back and using the front and rear brakes not the engine to control a steep loose downhill that's would, an interesting I would like method to counter this theory uh -huh. seems to me and i'm just throwing out logic here that if you have the clutch out you're not giving the bike the opportunity to build up speed when you release the brake well i think what craig is saying that you arrest you arrest the acceleration with the brakes and just the brakes the when brakes it, do a perfectly fine job of not allowing the bike to gain speed the problem on a steep downhill loose shit when you engine brake the bike will stall and when the bike stalls is when your your, your brain kind of starts to scramble a little bit because mm -hmm. that's what happened to me because i was trying to engine brake because the thing like Craig said, I think if motorcycles work the best when you commit fully to them, they're amazing machines. And if I were to just pull in the clutch, get my ass back in the seat, keep my eyes up and just roll down that hill at 30 miles an hour, I'd have coasted out just fine. But you got to commit to that. And well, it's, hard. And it's not just committing to the bike, though, Jim. Crutch. It's committing to the terrain ahead of you that you might not know what it is. Now, that method would work just great if you had the opportunity to walk the terrain. But if there's an eight-foot drop halfway down, yeah, that's going to end badly. And and, you're exactly, and, and it's never linear because that eight-foot drop, it'll be kind of a drop, and it'll angle, and there'll be a, a chunk of rock sticking up, and then some other thing you didn't fucking know is and there. And so the next thing you know, your broken body <laughs> is on the rock. Well, think of mountain bikes. Think of the concept of mountain yeah. bikes. They have no engine. All a dirt bike becomes when you're going down a loose, rocky downhill is a uh, is a 
mountain right. bike that is didn't go on the diet that ate too many <laughs> too much Wendy's that week. Yeah, there's a lot less weight though. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's yeah. it's didn't go on the diet, but yeah. the concept that's remains the same. Well, in this case. <laughs> Jim did not. I was, did not. I was trying to, but no, he was credit to Jim though, because when we were together, he was trying and he was practicing. Yeah. But it takes a lot to instill that. I've been doing yeah, yeah, that yeah. for thirty-five years. That 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 technique, and it's worked for me. I understand well, what you're saying. There are times that I. But if you're, it's new to you, I can understand clutch. going back to the the engine braking. I mean, and it works some of the time. But but I think if you're able to utilize the front brake yeah. more in the dirt, that, that's, that's that's kind of my next step. Key my next step is using the front brake in the dirt. And that is the key to using that technique because you will gain speed if you just completely lock up the rear. Even with the rear locked yeah. up, you will still gather momentum. But if you get more on the front brake where you ride that edge between almost locking it up but not quite, it'll be a controlled It'll be controlled. In your defense. It'll be a controlled compound <laughs> fracture. <laughs> in, in your defense, there are sometimes I can remember having the clutch out and hitting like a bump or a rut and blipping the throttle accidentally, which now launches you forward. So maybe that prevents that from happening. It definitely. Yeah. That. The other thing too is a lot of times when you get in that tricky terrain, just shit goes sideways. You're like, okay, yeah. I, I got my line. I, I got my line picked. It's going to be awesome. And like in the first seven feet, you're nowhere near where you thought you were going to be. You're so, like, uh, I don't know what's going to happen. Jim, when you fell in your mind, yeah. were you cat like reflexes, just ninja? Yeah. Down, well, down I think so, you know, my ninja training, you know, cause I spent a lot of time in, and, in the Buddhist monastery. And if so. somebody were to be watching, Shaolin. what, what, how would they describe your moves? Oh, definitely ninja-like. <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily, once, once I realized like it was time to abandon ship, right? <laughs> you know, you don't you don't want to get caught you, up in you that. You committed ship. fully to abandoning. ship. I did. I did. I'm like, yes, I committed fully, and I saw the ditch down there, and I so I just I basically just kind of jumped off the bike and. Um, like me on the scooter when we were doing the chariot races. Yes, yes. I saw very the similar. ditch. Just leave the bike. And jump in the ditch. Yeah, and I said I think I think I first hit probably a good twelve feet down into the like <laughs> just that way, maybe fifteen feet. And uh and it was just it was just I I'll just say it was luck. I, I could have I could have ended up with, with broken ribs and internal bleeding, but I didn't. I think you know, learn how to learn how to crash, learn how to roll, learn how to fall and do that kind Profound of stuff. Profound words. That's but part the, of the fun. The, there is value in that. Learn how to crash. Yeah, and keep oh, your karma brilliant. clean. I tell you what, man, when you go camping and stuff, don't litter pick stuff up, like be respectful to mother nature. Cause mother nature don't give a fuck. Hmm. It will like kill you in a heartbeat. Well, con congratulations on, on your trip. I love that anyway, you, thanks. you go on these trips and that you, you get so much out of it. Like you, like you being away from people rejuvenates. I, I don't know whether you like, yeah, you, well, what I, you know what I'll say is it like, puts your poop in a group. Uh, yeah. Well, it never yeah, keeps regular, but, uh, <laughs> In this day and age of like people staring at screens and and all that kind of stuff, get out into nature, man, and just sit in a chair, sit in a chair in the woods. And I know a lot of our listeners live in the woods. And God, do that, that sounds anyway. horrible. Oh, it's, <laughs> I'm telling you what. There's if you sit for a half an hour quiet in the woods, magic happens. You know me. My my happy place is like in in a casino in Vegas with all the bing bongs going on. Yep. You know, people. Yeah, that's, that's these classic Liza. Yeah. The the more stimulation, the better. The more, oh, yeah. the I, more relaxing. I have tapped out with Liza at 2.30 in the morning in a casino. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And she's just getting warmed up. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I have so much stimulation. I'm bordering on right. St. Vitus dance. 
And Liza's just sitting there like, yeah. I Keep it this. coming. I want a corn dog. Yep. Hey, on that note, I got to bounce. All right. I got to eat some um, food and get some rest. Cheerio, Jim. Always lovely. Hey, Jim. All right, later. All right, see you, Bagel. All right, see you, Jim. Bye-bye. So um, while Jim is walking out the door, it's game time. We're going to play a little game. So last week we played a game where we all th- drew three names out of a bag. They were three different bikes. And we had to uh, kill one. We, we got to ride one for a day and we got to keep one. So I still got more names in the bag. So I figured let's play th- play these out. But I'm changing the rules or we're yes. making it more positive. Okay. So this time you're going to pull three out of there. And Bagel, I pulled three for you. This time okay. you're going to keep one for yourself. You're going to give one away to somebody else. And you have to say why, that person. And the last one, you're going to sell and give the money to charity. Hmm. Oh, to charity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've pulled three for Bagel. Bagel, I'm going to start with you. Are you ready? Okay. I'm ready. All right. Your three is a Harley Davidson Road King. Okay. Which is a lot like that uh, Yamaha you just bought. Oh, 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 this is, oh, this is, this is getting hard. A Britain V1000. Ooh. Ooh. That's, you know. Ooh, suits you. And, oh, and a Ducati Scrambler. Scrambled eggs. Mm. So one you're going to keep, one you're going to give away. Hi, give away to somebody. Mm -hmm. And one you're going to sell and give the money to charity. So what are you going to do? Um, I would... Sell the Harley for charity. Okay. Yes, because that's a high dollar bike, and I think that's a good yeah. move. Uh, I would keep the Britain for myself. Of course. You! <laughs> Selfish. Why wouldn't God. I? Yeah, who are you going to give the scrambled eggs to? Um, the Ducati Scrambler, I, I might give that to, to our friend Steph, Steph Yu, because I think oh. she might enjoy that. Stephanie Possibly. Yu. All right. I don't, yeah. I don't know if it would be quite her style, but... Okay. That's the first person I thought of. No, I think I think Stephanie okay. quite enjoyed it as a gift. Bagel, I'm just going to yeah. say, um, I'm going to remember that. that oh. You kept my dream bike. Ah. Okay. okay. All right. You selfish <laughs> hound bagel. Keeping well, Liza's dream bike. Crushing her <laughs> dreams. I, I'm going to let you the, borrow it. Beneath the iron boot, as it um, were. All right. So I drew three here. Yes. I think this is interesting because I don't think you'll predict what I'm going to say. Oh, bet I will. Uh, the first one is a Kawasaki KLR650. <laughs> <laughs> Second one is an Indian FTR. An Indian footer. And the third one is a Ducati 916. Ooh. Yeah. So. I'm going to I'm gonna predict for you. Yeah. I think. Well, I, if you tell her, that might affect. No, no, in hold your on, head. hold on. I'm going to put them in, in order. Okay. <coughs> okay. I, I think. To... I think. Okay, I got it. I got it. I think she's going to sell the nine one six, keep the FTR, and give a KLR to a friend. That is exactly right. It's oh. <laughs> ah! <laughs> nice. The Indian FTR is a beautiful bike. It is. <clears throat> I would is. not mind having one of those just to experience it. The KLR six fifty. I want to share the joy. Yes. Because she loves them. And the 916, I mean... I can get the most money I just saw a 916 for sale and, and yesterday. And give them to charity. So yeah, you and you know, I mean, the thing is with the 916, as lovely mm-hmm. as they are, it is not a comfortable bike. 
and Liza and myself, our bodies are so smashed up now. We can't mm-hmm. enjoy these bikes like we used All to right. when we were young. What do you got, Emma? Let's All right, let's have a look. Yours. Right, here we go. I'm opening number one. Oh, a Ducati Panigale Ooh. V4S. Ooh. Who put the pain in Panigale? <laughs> I did. I think Craig wants that one. <laughs> All right. A... Suzuki Water Buffalo. Oh. And the final one, a Noton Commando. It is the French version. That's a triple oh. threat right there. It is a that's triple a tough, threat. That's a tough. So, um, the, I'm going to ditch the Panigale because it's the, it's a very, very high dollar bike. I mean, it's, it's like 30 large. And that's a lot of money to charity. Okay. Oh, so that's sweet. Okay. So, um, God, Commando Water Buffalo. You know, I mean, there's mm. kind of almost two sides of the same coin. If you, you have to give one of them away. If you, somebody. if you like seventies, um, motoring, as it were. If you like nineteen seventies motorcycling. There really are no finer bikes and to exhibit this than a water buffalo or a commando. So, like, you, you've owned both. I've owned many of both. Right. Mm. Um, I think, and I mean, this is purely arbitrary because I love them both equally. I think I'd give the buffalo to a friend because to who? F- Ooh, who would I give one to? Can I make a suggestion? Yes, go on. Bagel needs another motorcycle. <laughs> no, no, it'd be wasted on bagel. I don't have a two-stroke no. motorcycle, though. No, it'd be wasted on bagel. The man's got no taste whatsoever. I think that the water buffalo is weird enough. He would really appreciate it. I would like... I, you I know, think it would. Yeah, see? You know who I'd like to give the water buffalo to? One of our, Not necessarily naming anyone. One of our younger friends. What? And I, well, I'll tell you why. Riding a two-stroke on the street is something that was so much a part of my youth and such an iconic part of my youth, and we all had so much fun with it, messing around with the power bands and pulling wheelies and stinking up the high street and that smell and the noise. I'd really want somebody younger to, to, to experience that. And I think I'd keep the commando for myself because I haven't had a commando in a while and I do Mm. actually like them. You know the difference between a a commando and a Bonneville um, of the same age? Commandos are essentially hand-built bikes and they are um, their own thing. And you can go quite a long way on them because they they have knicker elastics so they don't vibrate. All right, Craig. What do you have? Is is this going to be a hard decision for you? No, this is easy, this is easy money. <laughs> okay, Honda Africa Twin, yeah, mm-hmm. Suzuki DR six fifty, yeah, okay, Jixer seven fifty. Oh, that's interesting, isn't it? I'm selling the Africa Twin. Yeah. Yes, because that's your high dollar bike, and that's going to give bike. a lot of money to charity. That'll give some to our favorite charity. That's right. I am giving. The Suzuki DR650 to breaking away Matt. 
Oh, because he needs a dirt bike. He needs a dirt bike. And they're so agile. I think he's a perfect pilot. Coming off that pig of his BMW, he he will be in heaven. He will be in hog heaven. (laughs) And I am keeping a bike that I have wanted for many, many years, which is the GSXR 750. I've never owned one. Yeah, they're 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 a wild ride. I think I could fold up on it. Pilates. I think those are good choices. Um, I'm still pissed at Bagel for not giving me the Britain. Just want to say. <laughs> she, bagel, she's crushed. You should hold it against. I'd let you borrow it. it. No, you wouldn't. Maybe if she. No, nice you wouldn't. You wouldn't <laughs> let her anywhere near it. You wouldn't let any me anywhere near it either. Because you know it wouldn't come back. We just ride into the sunset and never come home. Oh, right off a cliff. So it'd be I, with Thelma and Louise. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Oh, there goes Bagels Britain. Sayonara, suckers. <laughs> so you know, I, I listen to a lot of different podcasts of all different types. And yeah. Some of the podcasts I like to listen to are some of these. True crime, ones. yes, you like that. Everyone, kinda... everyone loves a mystery. Yes, <laughs> I, I love a good mystery, and then they tell you like the answer at the end. So I thought we would share some mysteries that involved motorcycles Ooh. or scooters with everyone. And maybe you've heard of them, maybe you haven't. Now, um, Emma's is going to be quite long because she is a fantastic storyteller. And I'm a waffler. A fantastic story. I'm so a, I'm a waffler. I will go first and me. then Bagel and then <laughs> Emma so I can do the frantically. All right, cut it off, cut it off. Um, guys, I have a nice little mystery here, which is quite interesting. I remember when this came out on the news and it was like, what? It was this big mystery. Well, um, this is back in 2012 in British Columbia, Canada. So the West Coast of Canada. And uh, there was this guy named Peter who's a beachcomber who would walk the beach and look for interesting things. And he was walking along and he found a, a container, like a cargo container, a full cargo container on the beach that had washed up. Which is weird because usually cargo containers sink, right? But apparently some of them, like this one, are lined with foam insulation and mm. it made it float. So uh, this, uh, this he comes across this giant container and inside, if you would believe this, was a Harley Davidson night train. Can I, can I do an incredibly, a very, very quick history hold on how big things float? Okay. Because uh, it's actually got nothing to do with foam and it's gonna be very, very brief. It's a concept. It's called displacement. And yes. This is how big ships float. Yes. Is water weighs a certain amount. So if you mm-hmm. want a picture, take a giant super tanker and pull it out of the water, but the hole is left in the water. So you figure out how much that hole would weigh if it was filled with water. And if the super tanker weighs less than that, it'll float. It's as simple as yeah, that. And, and so it works with a container. The container weighs 20 tons, but the hole it makes in the water well, is 21 tons of water. The doors had been ripped off, so this was if not it, sealed tight. Yeah, but it was probably yeah. at an angle. Because as yeah, the water runs in, it probably ran to the back. Because eventually it'd ah, fill up with right. water. It'd fill up with water. So my guess is when the water ran in, it kind of tilted 
And so it was at an angle so that the open part was facing up. Well, the other mystery to this was that this Harley Davidson in the container had a Japanese license plate. Oui. And we're talking about British Columbia. British Columbia, Canada. Canadian land. Japanese. Yeah, Japanese, right? Um, And the thing was a bit rusted because, again, the elements in the water had gotten to it, but quite intact. And uh, so he... It took him a couple weeks to come back, and when he got back, the container was gone. But what he found, half buried in the sand, was the Harley Davidson on its side. And I'm, I'm sharing a picture with everybody here, our bagel, I don't know if you can see that. But it's literally, yeah. it's, it's a Harley Davidson, literally half buried. And it, it's... It's well. It's not really intact. The spokes have rusted. The wheel it looks like it's sustained some uh, some damage. It looks like it'd been maybe out to sea for quite a while. Yes, uh, and there is some there is some aquatic life living on it. Yeah, some some barnacles and such. Um, but this motorcycle was in good enough condition, and because it had that license plate, they were able to tra- trace it and find out where it came from. Right. And surprisingly, a year before, it had gone missing from Japan in a tsunami. Well, that was a very famous tsunami. That was yeah. March the 11th, yep. 2011. And yep. if you remember rightly, um, the footage from Santa Cruz Harbor, mm-hmm. the wave coming into Santa Cruz Harbor was shown all over the world because this giant, like, seven-foot wave came in and damaged all the boats. Was that 2000? T- 2011. 10. Oh, 2011 when the, yeah, like March, 30. It was March 11th, 2011. Mm. Yeah, so a, a lot of stuff uh, from Japan had been washing right. up on the shore. We were talking about this on the garage. I, I think this was the same thing. There were also shoes. Shoes, shoes. shoes with feet in them washing up on the shore. Ooh. Someone was talking about that earlier. Yeah, how yeah, the yeah. ocean? Oh, Scotty, I think yeah, was yeah, talking, we talking about how about the it. ocean currents, and they did some studies. I, I kind of caught a little bit of that conversation. Well, there were there were two kinds of shoes. There were new shoes and shoes with feet in them, and then shoes with feet in them. And shoes with feet in them had been trodden on. And um, you know, as if a body goes into the water, because I mean, thousands of people were killed in the in the tsunami. Uh, Fifteen thousand uh, people. Fifteen thousand, and of course, they all got swept away. And then you're sort of in the sea, and your body naturally breaks down in seawater because, because, or you get eaten by marine life. But what's going to happen is, let's say a fish starts chomping at your body, chomp, 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 and it gets to the shoe, and it's like, oh no, I don't like the taste of this, because it's <laughs> primarily cotton and rubber. So they stop, so you end up with shoes with feet in them. Yeah, isn't that crazy? It's wild. it's it's really yeah. wild. Um, the Japanese government estimated that about twenty million tons of refuse and personal property were pulled out to sea. Right. Wow. That's yes. hard to fathom. Now it's not just it's not like a straight shot. There are many different currents that pick this stuff up and carry it, and all the way. And it took a year for it to get to to right. to Canada. So well, here's where it gets interesting, because they were able to trace it um they actually um sorry uh, contacted harley davidson and harley davidson um tracy owner and uh, i'm not going to try mr yokoyama i'll say um and because of its condition the harley davidson offered to give him a brand new bike wow 
Yeah. Um, they said that it was like 99.9% of it needed to be replaced. Yeah. It was, it was really interesting. Well, that's good on Harley for the offer. But, and here's yeah. something. But here's his reply, and it's the most Japanese thing ever. Yes. So he said uh, he respectfully declined, saying that he didn't want to be a tall blade of grass among a shorter lawn. <laughs> I love it. That's, that that's, so that's the most Japanese thing wow. ever. He didn't feel right accepting it. So many things had, had been lost. He'd lost, and it, he'd lost his family, family and his home. And, and possessions. And, and he did not want to be treated any special, special than anybody else. So he asked that it be placed in, um, in a museum as a remembrance of all of the lives lost in this tragedy. Mm. And so and it is in Milwaukee at the Harley Davidson Museum that you can go see. That's cool. And they wow. have done nothing. And to it is it. still covered in sand and barnacles yeah. on display. Um, but it, what amazing uh, mystery! I remember when that. I remember when that happened. It was like yeah, me too. Yeah, and they yeah, it's kind of cool. You see, like the spokes are broken on the wheel, but they have it like mounted so that it's holding it upright and everything but the seat and the handlebars are there which is crazy so anyway that is the mystery of the japanese solved. Harley davidson Mis yeah. mystery solved what a right journey here. that went on huh oh yeah yeah but you know the these currents um these underwater currents are wild when you look at england Everyone thinks, well, England and New York are about the same latitude, and they're not. I mean, England's way up there, way up there in northern Canada on the same latitude. But the only thing that stops England being basically a, a completely frozen wasteland like Canada is the Gulf Stream, which is a warm water stream. And there have been many, many um, cases of boats sinking and we're not talking about giant ships. We're talking about pleasure <coughs> boats, like 40-foot pleasure boats, sinking, you know, in, in uh, Central and Southern America and ending up in England, kind of floating along the seabed underwater, being pushed along. Mm. Isn't that wild? Yeah, just getting tumbled, wow, tumbled cool along. I can't believe that this bike went on that much of a journey and was still as intact as it was. Well, it's a testament to how much metal is in a Harley Davidson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Bagel, do you have yeah. a mystery to share with us? I have a little bit of a mystery okay. uh, that came with my first bike, the 1965 Heinkel. Oh, okay. Achtung! Uh, yeah, so I, I had found I had found this bike literally in a shed on a farm. Uh, had no paperwork, no history on it, nothing. Um, just, and just curious, what were you doing in that shed on that farm? Uh, I was looking around for cool stuff to find <laughs> because my my parents had bought it recently, and oh. I was curious to see what was there. Oh, looking for like old your, license plates and beer signs and stuff. And your parents you know. bought a farm. No, the parents yeah. bought a shed. With a shed that had... <laughs> so this is the birth of Bagel the Scooter? Yes. <gasps> oh, yeah, fantastic. I found, yeah, I and found what, the what, in the shed under a pile of old tires. I just realized I said scooter. And what Bagel, <laughs> what Bagel didn't share is the curator of the shed was a gentleman called Frederick. So Bagel was to say, Fred, what's in that shed? <laughs> Sorry. Shed. <laughs> I, I mean, you're so, on probation. <laughs> Sorry, I'm on double secret probation. <laughs> Emma's the mystery so, herself. 
Oh God, yes. Yeah, so uh, eventually, I, I brought you know I brought the bike home, got it got it running after several years, and started riding it around, and was kind of my my transportation while I was at college. And um, but it always had a problem with the transmission, where whenever I shifted into second, at least a lot of the time, it would kind of something would get jammed. It would never go in smoothly, or almost never. Oh. I mean, sometimes it, I'd get lucky and it would go in. But like 80% of the time it would get jammed and I have to like wiggle the, the shifter to try and get it to go in. Sometimes it would go in easier. Other times it would just, just would not go in and I would lose all my momentum and I have to go back into first and try shift to second again. And it was a real pain in the ass. Now one um, would assume that this is uh, a transmission problem, but I, I wait, I don't know a scooter. Wait, does this have a transmission like a motorcycle? Yes, the Heinkels okay, have a four-speed manual okay, transmission. Okay, okay. Yeah, the Heinke, yep. Heinke Heinkel. So, yeah, so it's got shafts and, and gears you know, in, in there and everything, just like a motorcycle would. Um, but to, to get in there and then try and figure out what's going on requires splitting the cases. So yes. uh, that mm -hmm. was a really big step that I just didn't want to go that far you know, while it was running and, and rideable otherwise. So I never dug into it. Um, eventually though, I, I did grenade the piston and, uh, and it, and it was the, the engine was dead. So it needed to be torn apart anyway. I, I have a question. Yeah. Emma, do you know what, what the solution was with this? Oh yeah. Okay. You do. All right. Oh yeah. But you wait until you but, find out. But we, Craig doesn't. I'm when you find out what it is, it will go against Everything you thought you know about German people. I'm I'm curious, uh, <laughs> give, given all the clues, yes. if there's any more clues, if Craig can guess, he'll ne he never will. Mm. But it it it's it's a blow. I feel it mm -hmm. is a blow to German people. Yes. It, is, it is it is very counter to the 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 normal sense of, of precision and fastidiousness. No, can I ask you a expect. question? <laughs> yes. Had this scooter? I don't, so you just found it in a shed. So you didn't know its history. Yep. You didn't know if it had been run low on oil. You didn't yep. know was was it yep. high mileage. Uh, well, it only had thirty six hundred miles on it, but okay, the piston so was mileage. stuck. Okay. So <clears throat> so it had seen some sort of abuse. Mm -hmm. okay. But you know, didn't know you know how bad um, you know right. spark plug was out of it, carburetor was missing. You know, Craig, do tank you know? Do you know enough about how a transmission works to take a guess at what it might be? Was there a rat in there? <gasps> there guess. was not a rat in there. <laughs> not in the transmission. <laughs> there, there were mice that lived uh, in the gas tank. Though, uh, really? Point. Okay. So, oh yeah, I'll, I'll take a guess here because yeah. yeah. I had a problem like this on my Emma on my BMW R11. 1100 well it was 1150 rt it was an 1100 with an 1150 in it and i was having problems with it shifting sometimes right and i couldn't figure out why it just wouldn't go into gear and i later found out it was the screw came out of the side of the bodywork and it had shifted down like a quarter of an inch and there was only a small hole that the shifter came through and it was running into the fairing. Encroaching. Uh -huh. And so I just didn't have that clearance to pop it well, all the way up. It was crazy. I should mm. point out from mm. my experience at the shop, and actually if you read my latest review on the Googler um, for Mototown, it will be borne out. 90% of transmission problems are linkage or external related. 
90% of them. However, yeah. this one ain't that. Carry on, Babel. So, all right. So it wasn't. It doesn't have anything to do with the clearance on the... The clearance, Clarence? Yes. Right. No. Yeah, there's no, no clearance issues, no... Uh, clearance no, no issues. No problem with the cables or anything. No. Um, but uh, a, I had a an incl inclination uh a tip was given to me by a wise old uh, german member of the Heinkel club yeah, yeah, who yeah. had mentioned that there's a little circlip that goes on the the end of the shaft inside the transmission that slides back and forth when you're shifting gears and if one of those circlips is missing that shaft can slide out of the the hole in the case where it normally fits into and then have trouble getting back in it's always that's the 10 he, cent part, isn't it? It's the 10 right? cent part. And, and that's what he suspected it was. <laughs> but like I said, I, I wasn't you know, up for pulling apart the cases to dig in there and find out. <clears throat> However, once the engine died, then and it needed to be, be fully rebuilt anyway. Um, Send it out to my friend Mike in Colorado uh, who, who tore it apart. And sure enough, that is exactly what he confirmed, that the little circlip was missing off of the shaft. And not only was the shaft not fitting back into where it was supposed to in the case, because it had been banging around that, that hole it was trying to fit into for so long, it had worn away and just hogged out that hole over mm. the course of 20-some thousand miles, and, was, and it literally damaged the case. So he ended up having to uh, have a shop machine that machine it out and then press a brass ring as an insert in there to uh, fit the shaft back into the correct position again so the mystery here is what happened to the circlip yes and the we we don't know for sure but the there was no circlip found in the case <clears throat> so we suspect it was simply missed in the manufacturing it was because built during <laughs> Oktoberfest. <laughs> Well, no, actually, this was this bike was built in the spring of '65, but but that is when they were winding down the production and shutting down the company. So they uh, were literally just slapping costs. bikes together and sending them out the door, and wow. somebody just missed a clip. In and you know, you know you've got you you've basically got to get a snapshot of what the company culture was probably in the yeah. mid '60s. Yep. Because you're talking about a company that had been going for over 30 years that had really made a very distinguished name for itself, making very, very high-quality aircraft and then very, very high-quality small cars and small motorcycles. And then just, hey, we're closing the company. You, you yep. had to have <clears throat> some pretty disillusioned people working yep. there so you think that's why it had such low mileage because it was problematic from the factory i think that was part of it wow. um i i think that something it something definitely happened in the top end because like i said the piston was stuck and right when i pulled it apart you know it took a i had to really bang on that piston to get it out uh and the rings were shattered like they had seen so much heat that mm. they were literally just broken into pieces wow so yeah, so it had seen a lot of heat. I don't know if it had been run low on oil or um, ran too lean or who knows yeah, what. Yeah, it may have had an intake leak. But it's a very yeah. interesting phenomenon because if you're around old vehicles, when you get the proverbial barn find, the ideal scenario is Junior bought the bike new, got drafted, moved away, went to college, forgot about the bike, 
the bike was forgotten and along you come 30 years later and buy it, you know, and that was that. But the reality is these survivors that you find in barns and sheds and garages with no mileage on, and that that's all they are. They are survivors because the normal life of a bike is it gets bored, it has the crap ridden out of it. When it's new, it gets serviced a lot. When it gets older, the service starts getting deferred. Now you start putting cheap tires on it. Now you start putting cheap parts on it. By about 20, 25,000, it's all over for most bikes. And they're done. So we're dealing with survivors. And the reality is, if you find a survivor bike sitting in a shed, there's two things you've got to consider. Number one, the work it's going to take to get it back on the road. It's going to have plug carburetors, it's going to need new tires, it's going to need blah, blah, blah. But the second thing, what put it off the road yeah. in the first Why place? Why was it in the first place? Why yeah. was, and I have done many bikes where I've got them running and got them running really, really well only to find out why they went off the road in the first place. And the Benelli is the perfect example. I had the most glorious Benelli 500 Quattro. Very no mileage, ticked all the boxes. Beautiful original paint. Lowest mileage Benelli 500 probably in the world. It had 2,000 miles on it. Just glorious. Rebuilt the carburetors, did everything I needed, put tires on it, put brakes in it, rebuilt the suspension, everything. Took it out for a spin, second gear was missing. Mm. Just nothing there. <laughs> yeah. And then second gear was in pieces in the engine sump. You know, so that's why that bike went off the road. Second gear was grenaded. So, you know, every bike tells a story. And sometimes you've got to wake them up for them to tell you the story. Well, Emma, do you mind if I do a little intro for yours? Because we saved the best for last. Oh, yes, of course you can. Um, I'm just going to say Craig. So Emma has a great story. And this one is about the rarest motorcycle in the world. And probably the most <clears throat> valuable. I do mean, you know, do you have any clue what the rarest motorcycle? And we're not talking about a stock Harley. I'm talking the most valuable, rarest motorcycle in the world. And it, and it had a big mystery attached to it. Do you have any idea? Bruff Superior? A Bruff Inferior. Funnily enough, when Liza initially approached when Liza initially approached me with this. The wizard? I was gonna do um a lot of things about um Lawrence of Arabia, who famously rode a Bruff Superior. Ah. But it's none of those things. It's actually an American bike. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. No, this is a good one. So, to begin our story, are we sitting comfortably? Yes. Uh, then I shall hold on, let me get some hot coke. <laughs> yes. <laughs> then I shall begin. So, our story actually begins in winter 1967. Mm, okay. But that's when our story is beginning, but it actually goes back much further than that, right. as we're going to find out. So, in winter 1967, um, a couple were living in a, an older house just on the outskirts of Chicago, and the plumbing packed up, as plumbing often does in Chicago in the middle of winter. And so they called in a plumber. And um, the plumber did all the usual normal things and just, look, we need to, we need to actually start getting into the walls of this building. Ah, that's nice. So um, 
And this is a very common thing when you have an old house. I mean, Liza, we're sitting in a 100-year-old house right now. Older than that. There you go. So basically, he the plumber had to cut open a wall. And he found something which he wasn't expecting. Um, a motorcycle stuck <laughs> inside the wall. Now, Not a, nobody. Just nobody. nobody <laughs> just a motorcycle. Yeah. And... The motorcycle was clearly very, very old, um, but it was in absolutely remarkable condition. Um, in fact, really, once it had been cleaned, it cleaned up like new. Um, they did a little bit of research on the bike, and they found out it was made in 1917. Um, it's brown and yellow, and it had the word Traub on the gas tank. Now, nobody had ever heard of a Traub. That's T-R-A-U-B. T-R-A-U-B. Now, it's basically, it is one of one. And it's mm -hmm. not a special. Now, this is something that's very, very important to mention. You could argue that a custom motorcycle is one of one. You could argue that a chopper is one of one. You could argue my Honda Goldwing Turbo is one of one. Mm -hmm. This is not a bike like that. This is a very, very normal-looking motorcycle from 1917. However, what made it different from anything else was the quality of components was just amazingly good. And some of the engineering techniques that they used on the bike were light years ahead of their time. Hmm. Light years ahead of their time. So it was clearly somebody who knew exactly what they were doing. And there were no records on a no, There were no bike. records with anything. And we're going to come to why. So there's a picture of the bike, Craig. And that's exactly as it looked when it came out of the wall after it's been cleaned. <laughs> Can you imagine? Finding a motorcycle in the wall. Wow. So nobody knew anything about this bike. So the owners of the house got in touch with the pre the person they bought the house from many, many years before. And they, he was very, very old and living in a retirement home at this stage, but was still quite lucid. And the mystery actually got deeper. So it turns out that... He did indeed know about the motorcycle, and he thought he hadn't even spoken about this bike since 1916. And what had happened was his son, who was living with him at the time, had stolen it and arrived at the house on this bike. Dad, where'd you get that? Son was, I stole it. And the dad was so incensed and outraged by his son's behavior, he made him sign up for the army. <laughs> mm -hmm. He demanded wow. he sign up for the army. Now, if we go back to what was happening in 1916, it was the First World War. Um, in 1916, America was just entering the war, and there was this huge drive to get American soldiers to fight in Europe alongside Britain. Um, Britain had entered the war in 1914 
and you know it's it's was struggling against very very strong forces from um, Germany and their allies. So America entered in 1916. There was this huge push for young men, and this kid with remarkable foresight, he'd stolen a bike. I'm guessing he didn't want to give it up. So he obviously hid it somewhere so good it wouldn't be found until his return. Well, the truth was, unfortunately, the lifespan of young soldiers in the First World War was tragically short. And, of course, he he got killed. Did the dad know it was in the wall? No, he did not. And And hence it remained hidden. So the dad was talking about a subject he hadn't talked about for 61 years. And the last conversation he had was with his son who said, you get rid of that bike and you get yourself down the recruitment office today. And that was the end of that. So the kid was obviously, I'm going to hide this bike. And then when I get back, when all this is over, I'm going to have a really nice bike to ride. And so, hence, that's how it became a survivor. Wow. By being remaining wow. hidden. And, I mean, to his credit, this kid hid it in the walls of the house. Now, I've been in a lot of these Midwestern houses from that period of time, and it's actually remarkably easy to hide things in walls because if the house is a traditional layout, and in 1967, there was there was no incentive to fix these things up. These were low-value houses. So, and they were like a rabbit warren inside, and they were full of, like, false corridors, and this wall you think backs up to the bathroom wall, but it doesn't. There's a space in between, which has just got nothing in it. That's how houses were built back then. So we're going to talk a little bit about the bike itself. It still exists, by the way. Um, It went through various um, private hands, it was bought by an owner who sold it to Dale Walker's Wheels of Time in 1990. And um, Dale, um, and of course he's passed on now, um, rode it regularly and apparently it rides very, very well. So, so this is a, a completely unrestored bike. And no other Traubs were made. No other Traubs were made. So would but you, we would, go, well, we're going to get into who would, Traub is. Would you compare it to like a Britain where somebody built a very high-end machine? Just Britain was able to build 10, you know? I, you know, I think so. And That's interesting. I'm going to, because it's a mystery and... It really has never been solved. We're going to get a little bit into the psychology of the creator. Okay. Because people think they know who made it. So I'm going to read from one of the many articles that's um, been written about it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just, I'm just reading. The identity of the tribe's creator has been frustrating historians for years. While the name of the man who could have been the bike's creator and the emphasis there is could has likely been found it is impossible to say whether it is a definitive answer so let's talk about Gottlieb Richard Traub Um, he's American born and bred but he was of German descent and we know he was into motorcycles because he actually wrote to the editor of Motorcycle Illustrated, who are the, you know, 
motorcycle magazine of the day talking about a bike that he made. And his letter goes, Dear Sir, finding close picture and specifications of motorcycle made by myself, um, 55 inches wheelbase, three and a half gallons tank, one gallon oil, um, four horsepower, blah, 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 blah. Quite a high spec machine, but nothing like the one that was found. But remember, this is 1907. Now, according to the 1910 census, Gottlieb Richard Traub was living in Chicago, which was not far. His address was actually not far from the, where the motorcycle was discovered, you know, within the next neighborhood or so. Also, when he was drafted in 1917 for the army, he stated his occupation as an experimental machinist hmm. so oh, like an alan milliard right oh okay. now hang on have you seen the stuff alan milliard makes mm -mm. he does he builds his own engine like he'll make like a eight, 18 cylinder it's crazy stuff now crazy stuff. now we're getting into um something which i believe is fake and there's a picture a picture here of something that says Richard Traub Motorcycle Shop General Repairing with a lot of bikes outside. And I've looked at this picture and I've looked at this picture and I genuinely believe it is a fake picture. Hmm. And I think it's hubris surrounded by the bike. Now, hmm. um, and the article goes on and, you know, it's... These these two motorcycles are both creations of the same mind it shows. I don't think that's true. I think they're showing contemporary motorcycles from that period of time. And if you look at a Harley-Davidson from 1915, 1916, and an Indian from the same time, and an Excelsior, they all have this certain look because that's what American bikes look for. So, um... Hmm. Here's what I'm going to speculate what happened to this bike. I think that Traub actually did make it. I think Gottlieb Traub almost certainly was the builder of the bike. Um, and I believe it's something in the vein of the um, a machinist who kind of built... This very, very high-quality one-off bike. There, like there's a, no patent or anything? Yeah, like Milliard. Like Alan yeah, Milliard, yeah. that kind of thing, because there's no patents attached to it. But I want you to consider this. If you put all your effort and all your creative juices into a motorcycle... Now, Craig, you love your bikes, right? That's true. I love my bikes. Liza loves her bikes. Think how crushing it'd be if you had a bike stolen. Now, I want you to think about how it would be if you built that bike from It would scratch. be 100x plus. I think, and I'm going to speculate here, I think that might be pretty much a career-ending event. 
Oh, really? Possibly. Well, yeah. just think about what it took to build that in 1916. It was probably years in the making. Oh, if it's a and, development, if we extrapolate, because I believe this article dated 1907 is genuine, and I also believe that that Traub is a development of that bike. That's at least eight years development. Yeah. At least. And, and, and think of the expense that he put into that. Exactly, because we're not talking about wealthy people here. With yeah. Believe me, a machinist in Chicago in the, in the teens was not a wealthy individual. So I think he put basically all of his life into this bike and it was stolen and realizing that your life's work can basically disappear in a second. Mm. I think it crushed him and he either never made a bike again. There is some mystery as to his faith. Some historians say he was killed in the first world war other historians said he made it back, but really was never the same again after that. Other historians say he made it back and he made it through the uh, the Great Depression of 1929. The, the stock market crashed, lost everything and kind of lost the will to live. So there's a lot of speculation. What and everything I'm saying, I mean, the bike exists. The bike is very high quality. You can go onto the interwebs and look at pictures of this bike, and it's absolutely drop-dead gorgeous. And you can look at the quality of the thing just in the pictures. It's an amazing-looking bike. So we know it exists. We know Gottlieb Richard Traub existed. And I, although there's nothing linking the two, I think is a 99% chance that he built that bike. Wow. And I really think it's a, it's a kind of Alan Millier Incredible kind of, story. Incredible. Yeah. Um, but this picture that shows Richard Traub motorcycle shop, I think that's a completely fake picture. I think somebody has generated some hubris around this. Because remember, everything we're talking about now is post-1967. So I don't mean the history. I mean our interpretation of the history. Right. Because before 1967, nobody knew about the bike. Nobody knew or paid any attention to Richard Traub. So everything we're talking about now, including the article, including our interpretation of it, is post-1967. So people have access to all kinds of way of faking documents, of faking pictures, even haphazardly. And I'm looking at this picture of the motorcycle shop, and it's just something. There's something that's not quite right about it. I don't know. I could see him having a motorcycle shop. And then, but this. Because it takes somebody who really knows a motorcycle in and out to be able to build a better version, right? Yes. So maybe he was a mechanic and a machinist. And I'm not saying. I'm not saying that, but that picture is not real. 
and there's something about it which I can't put my finger on. Oh, um, wh- I, I know, I know what it is. Whether it's the lettering on the billboard, it's the lines and the bricks don't line up with the roof line. Maybe. Right, something looks a little off. Uh, something looks a little off. And, it could be perspective. And the br- and the brightness of the sign in comparison to the rest of the picture. There's something a little off about that picture. I I genuinely believe that particular picture is fake. Okay. Um. But again, this is my interpretation, and I'm no expert on it, but um, it's an incredible story. That bike is considered the most valuable bike in the world. Um, It's it's an extreme... I mean, what do you think, Craig? I don't think it's real. You can tell by the way... Look how the... If anyone who's done a drafting class know that that building lines don't, yeah, 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 the, the perspective doesn't line up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that is a fake picture. As far as the patent goes um, for his motorcycle and the letter to, I think that might be real. So what's it valued at? The most valuable? Oh, millions. Yeah. Well over a million. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Hang on. Let's see if it gives a a, a value here because well, it has to sell to have a value. Yeah, exactly. And um, bum, bum, bum. but to a collector, it is the most. It's it's the holy grail. Okay, here we it go. It is the holy grail. Where is the Traub now? And I'm going to cred- credit Rumble on for yep. which is a Harley mm. thing for this. Soon after the Traub's motorcycle discovery, a Chicago motorcycle dealer named Torello Tachi traded a 700-buck Suzuki for the Traub <laughs> and restored it to perfect condition. About 10 years later, Buddy Eakins, stuntman oh, for yeah. Steve McQueen, was in Chicago filming for the Blues Brothers, so that would have been 79. Um, he purchased the Traub from Tachi and sold it to California collector Richard Morris. Traub changed hands one last time before landing in Dale Walker's collection in the Wheels Through Time Museum, and it's still in the collection today. Um, the 101-year-old Traub still runs perfectly, and um, Walksler even takes it out on an occasional joyride. Well, of course, that would be Dale's son now. Um, if Gottlieb Richard Traub was truly the creator of the mystery motorcycle, it is apparent that he put a lot of time and effort mm-hmm. into the prototype. It makes you wonder if the Traub was stolen, why wasn't it reported? There are no records or police records that indicate Traub tried to locate the missing motorcycle, which deepens the mystery. Oh, here we go. Gottlieb Richard Traub died in 1952. So the engineering genius and explanation behind the motorcycle that bore his name possibly died with him. Hmm. Um... I'm gonna kind of stick. I'm gonna stick with my theory that yeah, it kind of that it kind of crushed him. I, I like it. It had crushed me. I mean, it's I didn't me. build Rufus, but if somebody was to steal Rufus away from me, it really would. I think it'd be a life changing event. <laughs> I really do. Um, poor Rufus. Yeah. Poor Don't he, go away. No, Rufus isn't going anywhere. You, you're talking earlier. We we deal with loss differently. I see a loss as an opportunity to buy something new. <laughs> <laughs> I guess if you put ten years of your life into it, you yeah. might feel different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But right. yeah, but no, that's my theory, and I think. And you're sticking to it. Well, you know, let's circle back to how we started the show with our little chat about death. It took me forty-four years to pluck up the courage to talk about Ozzy. Maybe in 
between 1915 and 1952, Gottlieb Trub could just never pluck up the courage to even consider talking about the he loss. He died of, a little bit inside when it went away. Yeah, and I think he put that away. He just mm. put that away inside of him, and it just was so traumatic on. he couldn't even talk about it. And that would explain why he never reported it to the police. And we don't know what relationship he had with the police anyway. Got to remember, in, 19, in the teens, the police weren't always kind. Mm. So he might not have had the greatest relationship with the police anyway. So there you are. Well, thank you very much for that mystery. That gives us just enough time to read a couple emails, which is fortunately we have a couple emails. In fact, Emma, there's one next to you oh, I want you to read because it kind of ties in to this Traub, somebody who created their own machine that was so majestic. Um, so, yes, here we go. This one, <laughs> this is from Auguste Valley. Hey. Hello, Auguste. Hey. Hey, guys, I just saw this on YouTube and thought you would appreciate it. Oh, God, I do. All I could think of was Miss Emma's twingle design. It's a Ducati V2 that's been turned into a V8. It kind of has, but it kind of hasn't. It's absolutely wild. I also had a side topic at last to ask you about throttle cable adjustment. How does it actually work? Well, it's the easiest thing in the world. You just adjust it, darling. I have a 1985 Yamaha VMAX. Just finished a carb rebuild, as well as synchronization and other tuning. Um, all that's left to is to adjust the throttle cable. It's almost a quarter of a turn before the throttle even opens. I even put OEM cables on it. So I just want to ask before I screw them up. Thank you, Gus from... Ma oh, it's not August. Oh, it is. It's Gus from Massachusetts. Uh, P.S. I just moved out to Western Massachusetts, where I think I remember hearing Zach had moved yeah. out to. Yes, Mac is out in Western Mass. I know he hasn't been on the show in a while, and I don't know if he still rides. Yes, he does. But hopefully I'll see him in his SV650 out <laughs> and here. And he so. still has it. Yes, he'll never get rid of that. Um, throttle cable adjustment. Yes. The only thing that's going to catch you out on your... Um, it's very, very straightforward on your VMAX but you've got a Gen 1 VMAX, you lucky guy, which has got, I think it's got the mechanical V-boost on it. So is there two points of adjustment? Yeah, there's a bottom point and the yes. top point. And the top point's just a twiddly bit with, um, <laughs> you know, the you, you've got a lock nut and the actual adjustment point. You back off the lock nut and do the adjustment point and then zip up. And then you've got the old two lock nuts down at the bottom. Um, my advice is just adjust it up at the top and you want, you know, just a fraction, just a little hair, just a little hair of free play, just so you know. Turn the steering from lock to lock, make sure it's not binding up. Boom, Bob's your uncle. And on your VMAX, because it's got V-boost, take it for a spin, make sure the V-boost is working because that might, I can't remember if it's, I think on a Gen 1 it's mechanical. So I think you've got to adjust the V-boost, I think. Okay. But you'll be all right. And, and I mean, if the bike basically kicks you in the pants and scares the shit out of you at it's 5,000... It's working right. It's working right. <laughs> and on the adjustment, the lower one, you want to get it into range, and then the upper one is just the finer well, adjustment. Exactly. Right? I always say, you know, the, the big adjustments at the bottom, fine adjustments at the top. So you get basically right at the bottom and just do your real fine stuff. But don't forget that final step. Feel the free play with the bike straight ahead, 
Turn the bars fully to the left. Does it still have free play? Turn the bars fully to the right. Does it have free play? So and tickle a, the twiddly bit. So as yes. for in his email, the the YouTube video that oh god that so thing. since we're not showing anyone the video, we have to describe. And I watched it; it's fascinating. No, it it is. It's fascinating. So what the guy is he's basically got a standard Ducati crank, and then the rod comes up. So one one crank. Yeah, it's one crank rod, and then he's got like a cantilever arrangement which pivots in the middle. Ooh, can I can I help? Yes. So there's four pistons yes. uh, with one crank in the middle. And imagine those pistons are kind of like each each pair is like a scale where one goes up, the other goes down. Oh, right? expertly done. Right? So now mm -hmm. you have a crank in the middle and two pivoting scales that are attached to the crank so that when one set goes up, the other goes down. It's, it's hard to describe. Wow. But it's these... Mechanics so that as the it's a sculpture, the crank. No, this is a real <laughs> motorcycle engine he built. So you just have one crank operating four pistons that are going up and down in pairs off of that crank. I think, I mean, oh, wow. as, an yeah, en to describe. as an engineering oh. ego trip, it's absolutely mm -hmm. splendid. A lot of moving pieces, but as a performance upgrade, I think it's only 70 horsepower. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. Uh, but <laughs> it sounds good. I mean, he, the 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 video shows him revving it up, and it sounds absolutely splendid. It's like biblical. It sounds like it's going to explode and throw itself through the out of the living room window, which I like stuff like that. But yeah, it it actually is like a mm. Traub or a uh, <laughs> Milliard. Uh huh. Um, a Milliard, yeah. That the people are making just crazy things. So here, I'm trying to show you. There's a a graphic that's trying to explain how these four pistons are being mm. operated by one crank. It's it's crazy. It, it looks like playground equipment. It's, it's, <laughs> you know? It is. That's it's play, it's yeah. playground equipment, and it's nowhere near as technically superb as Emma's Thringle. <laughs> there you go. Or what? Or the menorah. I like. I like the idea yeah. of having having a, a rod that looks like a menorah with all these pistons on top, but they've all got to fire at exactly the same time. All right, we got time for one more, and this is somebody who uh, needs our help, and I think we are qualified to give him some advice. Oh, good. Oh. Because of somebody who visits the garage. Really? Yes. Uh, this one is from Joe. He says, hey, Joe. What do you know, Joe? Joe from Chico. Oh, right, yo. Just and up the road there. Joe recently got into motorcycling. Both of his parents had Harleys when he was little, and he often rode on the back. So he just got his first new motorcycle, a brand new Honda Grom. Oh, great. <laughs> Didn't see that cool. one coming, did you? Um, he said, after working around my prosthetic left leg... Yes. Mm, yes. Lowered the left peg and raised the shifter a bit. I got to zoom in. Found your podcast and have been filling my ears during work for the past year. And you have taught me a ton. So I'm super thankful to you all. Do you have any stories or experiences with riding with disabilities to share? I just need to bring a four millimeter Allen key where, wherever I go so I can change from riding mode to walking mode. Isn't that interesting? No, that, I think and that's cool. absolutely brilliant. We well, I mean, Liza rides with a disability <laughs> every yeah, yeah, yeah. day. Yeah. That's, yeah, Emma riding next to me. That's yeah, exactly. That's the biggest difference. <laughs> um, well, no, I mean, we my, have yes. our friend, Michael, who comes to the garage. Yes. Who has no left leg. None. He was born that way. None. From the, from the hip down, no left leg. 
And that doesn't stop him from riding at all. No. He's had many bikes since we've known him from, uh, I believe he had a Vespa. He had a Vespa. Mm -hmm. He's got an Indian, Africa Twin. Not an Africa Twin. Um, the, the, the big Rebel. Rebel 1100. Yeah, Rebel 1100. And before that, he had Ellie's bike, the, uh, the 1100. Uh, yes, the Sabre. The Sabre uh, 1100. And the way Mike works it is he's got um, pneumatic rams which are button-operated on the handlebars. If you look on the left-hand handlebar, there's two buttons, one above the other, one's up and one's down. And then on the gear shift, he has this crescent-shaped plate with a ram that either pushes the top of the crescent or the bottom of the crescent, thus shifting up or shifting down. And this is an aftermarket accessory you can add to it. Oh, yeah, like. exactly. And you just boom, boom, boom. It's an air shifter. Um, most common is in drag racing. Where yeah. um, drag racing is a form of racing where men dress up in women's clothes and run down the track. <laughs> uh, not that kind of drag racing. Um, I heard they were banning it in Arkansas. Yeah, it's banned in Florida. <laughs> yeah. It's already banned in Florida, and they're banning drag racing in Arkansas. How about that? No, but air shifting is very, very common in drag racing because, of course, most drag bikes, you you, you lie prone and you don't want your feet shifting. And a lot of times you can't shift that quick anyway. So you've just got these buttons on the handlebar and you pow. And a pneumatic shifter goes wang. And you go Wah! And then. Yeah, so it, he, he rides and he can put that. He That's can badass. Pull, pull it off and put it on anything. But he's also discovered Honda. Thank you, Honda. And the DCT. DCT. Just like my Africa Twin nice. DCT, they have many models, including. The Rebel 1100. Yep. As a DCT. What are the, what's the other uh, DCT models? They're the Goldwing. NC700X. NC700X. Yeah, the Moldwing. Um, and, oh, gosh. There's a, I mean, there's a few of them. Which means you don't need to use your left foot or your left hand. And they are very, very clever. It's nothing like... Ooh, excuse me. Forgive but, me yawning. It's nothing like the old slush boxes from back in the day when we were always in the wrong game. You know, the one thing, though, but, I haven't assessed how he deals with the kickstand. I assume that he comes to a stop on the right side, reaches down and. Well, puts you the are assuming. You I've are never seen Michael do the kickstand. No, I think Michael has. Um, yeah, that's a good. That is a good question. I think no. I think Michael's got mechanical, because Michael's got nothing, and I think Joe is missing part. So if he's got something mechanical that yeah. attaches to his leg, he can probably just mash down. And or you can do like Stumpy John does when he can't reach it; he just ties a string to it. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> he can pull the kickstand. So for those of you who are missing Stumpy John, he will be back. Yeah, next, next week. week. Yes, exactly. Right. Well, there you go. What do you think of those mysteries, Craig? Oh, the, the, have, the, have you heard of those before? That was a good climax leading up to Emma's. Those were all great, all, all of the mysteries. Um, no, I had heard of, of none of those. Yeah, there's, there's, there's more. I think we may have to uncover. I was I telling Emma, I want to so solve a mystery. I thought it'd be fun if we find a mystery that doesn't hasn't been solved, and we can share it with our listeners and see if we can collectively Get solve the it. Get well, the on the case. Wouldn't that be cool? Well, you know, it's funny. 
when I have a bike arrive at the shop, and I tell a lot of owners this, I say, it's like CSI. <laughs> we know the crime. Yeah. And the crime is... Neglect. The, you know, the crime is your bike won't start. So let's have a look at the usual suspects. And we round up the usual suspects, which are carburetors, fuel, whatever. And then we zoom in. We look at the bike's history and we zoom in on what it could be. Um, and it is. It's, it's a lot of times if you're diagnosing problems with a bike, you're playing a detective. You know the crime. You gather the clues. You come to the conclusion of what caused the crime. You zoom in on it. And that's it. That's a great thought. I love thinking of you as a detective for <laughs> Scotland Yard. Oh, yes. Uh, before we finish. Oh, I have a joke for oh, you. No, hold on. No, I do. Craig has a plug. Oh, yes, I do. Yes, you do. We are back. Pacific Motorcycle Training with our third annual Endless Summer event at WeatherTech Raceway Laguna, Laguna Seca. July 11th through the 16th, we will be doing beginner licensing classes, intermediate riding clinics, advanced riding clinics. Come on out, ride some motorcycles with us, take some intermediate, basic, advanced training. The whole week between two legendary yeah, events, Moto America and Arma, and Arma Vintage yes. Racing. So we'll be down there the entire week for our event. And in other news, we have moved our entire location on the Monterey Peninsula officially to WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Woo! Seca. That so is previously we just were there one year, one week a year, and now we're going to be running frequent classes, licensing classes. So come on out, get licensed, learn how to ride, improve your riding. So you're taking the beginners on the corkscrew? <laughs> no, they're not quite. <laughs> this is quite how you ready. pass your test, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll do the test on the corkscrew um, to be determined. <laughs> Very good. So, um, as yes. promised, and in the vein of detective, I'm going to I'm going to leave with a joke. Okay. And it requires Craig. Oh. So Craig. For this joke, you are going to play Sherlock Holmes. Uh-huh. And you're going to ask me, you're going to say, Dr. Watson. Oh, Dr. Watson. Why did you paint my front door yellow? Dr. Watson. Yes. Why did you paint my front door yellow? Tell, Ask me that. Why did you paint my front door yellow? It's a lemon entry, my dear Holmes. <laughs> 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 I'm muting you. You're, you're muted. You're done. Probation no. has been officially no. instilled. No, no. no. <laughs> On that note. Um, uh. Hey, um, I wanted to ask everyone, uh, besides um, leaving more reviews, thank you very much. Um, uh, if you received a T-shirt Take a picture, send it to us. I would like to share some of those on our social media pages. And also send us some emails. Ask us your questions. Yes. Ask anything. Oh, you want. unmuted me. Thank you, darling. I'm yeah. sorry. It was a short probation. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> we can't keep you in jail too long. Um, but this is the opportunity to t tell everyone, thank you so much for being with us and listening and sharing, telling people about the show. And a uh, big Thanks especially to our Patreon subscribers. You're the best. Yeah, no, you are the best. And, um, you know, if, if, if the show isn't to your taste, I mean, the, 
it isn't to your taste. I mean, not everyone's going to like the show. Um, we have a lot of fun making it, and I hope that comes through in, the, you know, in the in the actual show we put out because we really do enjoy ourselves making this. Um, and like I say, the content isn't to everyone's taste, but um, it is what it is. And uh, just a reminder, you can go to MotorcyclesAndMisfits.com. You'll yes. find links to everything there, to, uh, including a picture like. of the troll. I believe there's a link to Craig's school if you want to get more info there. Yeah, you can get signed up at mm -hmm. PacificMotorcycleTraining.com. And also uh, T-shirts, the new T-shirts. I'm only down to larges and extra larges. I've been selling out. So go on there, MotorcyclesAndMisfits.com. Go to shop, and you can find the T-shirts. And big news, I I don't know if you know this, because I had a lot of uh, international listeners uh, interested. I made it a flat price shipping fee of $20 for to anywhere in the world. Anywhere in the world, $20 shipping, and I will send that to you. Fantastic deal. What a deal. Yeah, I know. So go to MotorcyclesAndMissits.com and check all of that out there. Um, big thanks uh, to Bagel and Craig and Emma, everyone joining me, because I do have fun doing this. I think we're ready to get out of here. Thanks, everybody. This is Liza. Emma, darling. Toodaloo. Bagel. And we are out of here. Cool. 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 cool.